in the middle of a sermon series on King David. King David, we said that uh, the Bible dedicates more time to him than any other character with the exception of Jesus. And uh, both in the Old and New Testament, so I'm excited to be digging into David's life. And it seems like the the more we, we dig in, the more unfolds for us. And so today, um, we've reached one of my favorite portions of David's life. It's uh, when he's bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And so I've, I've entitled this message very simply, um, Worship. Worship. David was a worshiper. And so today we're going to focus on worship. We're also going to focus uh, next week on worship. And so we're going to break it up this way. We're going we're gonna to look at the things that David understood and did intuitively well, and it's because he had his heart right, and what it means to have your heart right, what it is to be a worshiper like David, the, uh, after the, the example that David gave us. But then we're also going to look next week at some of the things that his wife, McCall, represents, and some things that she does wrong, and some of the things that she doesn't quite understand, and so many times we can fall into that as well. So today, when we talk about worship, I'm going to be focusing in First, Second uh, uh, Samuel, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter six, and First Chronicles fifteen. First Chronicles fifteen. So, um, are you ready? Let's do this. All right. Uh, first part of the message is going to be all the God's word. We're going to read out of First uh, Chronicles and Second Samuel. I'll pick out a couple of things. I won't take too long picking out a bunch of things because then I've got eight points we're going to unfold. And you say, wow, eight points, pastor. Yes, you will be out of here by three o'clock. No later. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now, the the points will go really quickly, but I want you to be familiar with with, uh, the story straight from God's word. So read with me, 1 Chronicles 15, David assembled all Israel. Turn to your neighbor and say, all, not some. All. That means you. That means me. All Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared for it. He called together the descendants of Aaron. Now, Aaron is Moses' brother, right? Whom God un- uh, appointed and anointed as the first high priest of Israel. Aaron was over, and his family was over the Levitical tribe. The Levitical tribe was responsible for handling the worship in the tabernacle and for handling the Ark of the Covenant. This is significant, right? Because David has learned some lessons here. He called the descendants of Aaron and the Levites. So the priests, I've, I've skipped a couple of verses just for the sake of time. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. That's a very important phrase there, a very important sentence. They did it how? As Moses had commanded. How? In accordance with the word of the Lord. David's learned some things. Do you remember three months prior? He tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Now, this is super important because David has conquered Jerusalem now. He is setting up his his palace there and his capital city, and it will be the capital place of worship. It will be where God's people come to worship. He needs the Ark of the Covenant there. Now, why is this significant? Because the last few 
uh, times that we met, we talked about what took place when David did it the world's way. For some reason, he decided to transport the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. Now, we said it could have been because he saw the Philistines do it. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, why did the Philistines and how in the world did the Philistines, the enemies of God, get the Ark of the Covenant? Well, I believe that God wanted to emphasize to his people that it's not about a relic. It's not about an object. It's about his presence. And so if, if, the, if the people of God mix that up and say, oh, it's about this ark and we can just take it anywhere we want and we can get anything we, we need, it's almost like replacing God with a genie. If we have the lamp and we rub it the right way, then we get whatever we want. That's not the way God works. So God removed his presence. The enemy defeated them, captured the ark, took it on a cart. Now David got the idea, if they transported it on a cart, so can I. We learned you can't do what the world does in God's house. We've also learned that God's house is only special when his presence is in. It means you can have a building, but if God doesn't show up, it's just a building. You can have a person What makes him a Christian is not that he does this, that, or the other. It's the presence of the living God within that person. That's what makes a Christian a Christian. And so it's God's presence. One of the things that I'm going to keep highlighting for you, something that we've we've learned along the way, is every every message I've shared up until now, this is the 10th one on David. We've learned a a bunch of, of different points and different things that encourage us in our lives And how to walk with the Lord closer. But we started off with saying, if you want to know the secrets, I'm going to keep highlighting those secrets. And they're not actually secrets. They're actually great principles and values that David had. And they come from having a heart after God's own heart. And one of the most fundamental principles that David grasped was the fear of the Lord. Number two, the presence of God. He valued the presence of God. Today, you're going to see he was a worshiper. He was a worshiper. And so he values the presence of God. Things didn't go right when he, what, moved it on a cart. He took it to the house of Obed-Edom. We said last week God was blessing the house of Obed-Edom. David hears about it. He can't stand it anymore. He can't stand it anymore. The last we saw David, he was what? Angry? The Bible described him as angry and afraid. This is really, really interesting because nothing interrupts your worship of the Lord like anger and pity. What do I mean by that? When you're angry, you get resentful, and this is your posture. You're closed off to God. I'm angry at you, Lord. You put yourself in judgment of God. Yeah, an angry person towards God is judging God. How so? Well, you think things like, you know what, Lord? I don't think you did right. You owe me. You shouldn't have. Why did you? And so you're judging what he has decreed or decided. It interrupts your worship. Pity or being afraid has a different posture. Your shoulders are down. Your lips hanging. You're like, Lord, I don't know if you love me. I don't even think you see me. I can't believe you allow these things to happen to me, Lord. You know, the problem with a pity party is that nobody else wants to show up. 
Nobody wants to come to a pity party and they definitely won't bring gifts if they show up. They're going to have the same pity that you're having and you can sit there and whine together, but it'll separate you from God and it'll affect your worship. David's gotten over his anger. He's gotten over being afraid. He's saying, you know what? I need your presence. You're going to see that in David's life. He always runs to God. And he says, if you're blessing Obed-Edom's house this much, it is not good for it to be in the house of Obed-Edom. It needs to be in my palace. It needs to be at the capital city, not in his palace, but next to you say, well, well, this is selfish. No. David understood his position and he says, how is it good that the blessing, of the, low flo- the blessing of the Lord be confined to only one household? It needs to be in the capital city flowing to the entire nation. It needs to flow to the entire nation. Woman of God, man of God, I want you to know that if God has put you somewhere, it's because he wants to have that blessing flow through you to others to your children, to your family, that you might stand in the gap, that you might say, Lord, I want to worship you and call down your blessing so that it fills not only just me, but my wife, my family, my husband, my children, my children's 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 children. Come on. That's the kind of blessing we need to ask for. And that's the kind of blessing God has put you here to have, to have. I'm never gonna finish at this rate. I gotta come on. Do me a favor, listen faster, okay? How do you listen faster? Amen, pastor, good point, keep going, right? Here we go. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the Levites carried the ark of God with poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful noise or sound with musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. Wow. There's there's so much to preach there. I got to keep going. How David was clothed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen as were all the Levites. You find that interesting? Why is the Bible highlighting what David is clothed in? You see, when I read the Bible and I see uh, a fact like that, it immediately jumps off the page at me. That should jump off the page at you because how is a king usually clothed? In fine linen? No, that's what the priests are wearing. The Levites are what? Priests. They serve before the Lord in this worship act. We'll talk about that in a second. And was... uh, and as were the musicians, Kianiah, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. So you have the worship leader here. And David is hanging out with the worship leader. Where should you hang out? David also wore a linen ephod. Now, if you remember from reading your Old Testament that a linen ephod is the attire that was prescribed for Aaron and his descendants as priests. So the Bible's describing that David took off his robe, his kingly robes, and he willingly went into where the procession was, and you're going to see his wife is not with him. His wife is somewhere else. So David makes a conscious decision to say, no, today I'm not a king. Today I'm a worshiper. And I don't want to be a king as much as I want to be 
a priest. Isn't this kind of like, not kind, it's exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that Jesus, what? Took off his priest, his kingly attire. He humbled himself even to the point that he was not only our priest, but he was the priest and the sacrifice for you and for me. And so here we have, we have that David is doing the same. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts and with sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and with cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. They had a celebration. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, this is David's wife, watched from a window. So she's perched up high, looking down. David is down low in the mist. Where should we be? Should we be as a spectator or as a participant when it comes to worship? Participant. See, worship is not, let's keep going. I'm I'm not going to finish. I got to keep going here. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. See, because when you're a spectator, you're going to judge. When you're a participant, you're going to experience the presence. Now let's go to 2 Samuel. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Is she being sincere? This is sarcastic. She's being very, very sarcastic. And she says, oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked. That, that's never good. <laughs> Going around half naked in full. Isn't it funny? When you're from the south, you don't say naked. You say naked. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar, vulgar fellow would do. So she's, she's letting him know what she thought. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. David said to McCall, it was before the Lord. Highlight that in your heart and in your Bible. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your daddy. I love it. Because when you, you know, yeah, let's keep going. Let's not get into this couple's fight here because they're about to have one. Uh, it was... It was uh, before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or any from your house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will 
become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now notice the way the Bible keeps referring to her. Daughter of Saul, daughter of Saul, daughter of Saul. I believe that has significance because she has her daddy's heart, which is Saul, rather than her heavenly father's heart. Her daddy's heart was, I'm too good for this. I belong here. Even when he was rebuked by the prophet, he didn't say, oh Lord, forgive me. He said, don't take the kingdom from me. He cared more about people's perception. He said, he said to the prophet as he grabbed his robe, don't, don't embarrass me. Don't leave me. Don't do this. Ripped his robe. The prophet turns back and says, as you have ripped my robe, God has ripped the kingdom from you. She has that same attitude as she looks down her nose at her husband and judges his heart because she's spectating rather than participating. This is huge. I want you to grab this in your heart. You get a choice every single day and every single Sunday to decide who will you be, a spectator or a participant. Will you look and, under, and, and miss, miss the idea? And look at David's words. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your dad. Oh, I love it. I love it. You go, oh man, David, that proudful little guy. No, he's not proud. He's humble. He's humble because humility brings forth confidence. Insecurity brings forth pride. You see her pride. She can't even humble herself enough to go worship her God, the king of all glory. And she stands up there in her insecurity, worried more about people. In his humility, he has real strength. And he says, I don't care about people. I care about God. There's a difference there. Huge difference. I wish I could preach a whole message on it. I got to keep moving. So, first point, audience. David understood his audience. So many times in a church, we miss the audience of worship. Because we say things like this. How was worship to you today? Oh, to me it was spectator. We're looking here going, oh, worship was this for me. This was that. It was this. It was that. I kind of like this. I don't like that kind of worship. I didn't really feel the worship today. It's not for Who's it for? Who's it for? Do you realize that Satan got in trouble for that and he still tries to get us to fall for the same thing? Many people believe that Satan in heaven, when he was Lucifer, was the archangel over worship and he merchandised, he traded. He traded what? On the glory that was God's as if it was his. He started siphoning the worship for himself. Worst thing you can do is sit back and go, eh, I don't know if I like the worship today. Worship's not for, let's keep going. Let's keep going. No, worship is for our heavenly father. And so we should participate. Number two, David understood who his audience was. He kept saying, it's before the Lord. It's before the Lord that I worship. It's not about you. It's not about anybody else before the Lord. Why? Because he had, he understood his audience. Number two, he appraised it right. See, before you worship God, you have to, there needs to be an appraisal. Some of us, 
praise God without having an appraisal first. You don't know how much something's worth unless you appraise it. And some of us have not taken the time to really appraise God. How do I know David did this? Because I read his Psalms and they, they say things like this. When I consider, what does that mean? David took the time to say, I'm going to consider who I'm praising. I'm going to really think about this. Oh, come on now. If we were to consider and appraise God's awesome majesty, what would I worship look like every Sunday morning? If before we just walked in or hurried in or thought, ah, I wonder if the worship's going to be good today. If we got our heart where it needed to be and said, Lord, you are When I consider your heavens, Lord, when I consider the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you set in place, and then I turn my attention to mankind, why do you even care about us when you are so awesome? I don't know why you do, but I'm grateful, God. See, then his heart goes into gratitude. When you understand how awesome God is and that he still loves you, you can't help but be grateful. Then all of a sudden, you're preparing yourself for awe because to to worship God, there needs to be a sense of awe and wonder. Awe means to be struck with the majesty, the beauty, and the wonderful power of this magnificent God and to think, how privileged am I that I even get an opportunity. Just think about it. I get an opportunity to worship you, Lord. That's not something I have to do. It's something I, I get to do. I get to do it. When I consider, I'm filled with awe. There's so many Psalms about this. You can just go through the psalm. Every one of David's psalms is filled with the awesome wonder of God. The awesome wonder of God. Where can I go from you, Lord? There's no place I can hide from you, Psalms 139. If I go what? Anywhere, even to the farthest part of the sea, there you will find me. Why? Because you are great, God. His worship was accurate. How do we know it was accurate? Well, read with me what the Bible says there. As Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. David was leading this. He said, okay, we're not making the same mistake again. I need you to take this word and I need it to inform the way we transport this ark. We're not going to do it the world's way. We're going to do it God's way. How do we know God's way? We're going to get into his word. This is why I believe the Lord has blessed this church because he gave it the name foundation. Foundation means the word of the Lord and the gospel message of Jesus Christ that you can build your life on. You can build your life on. That's the way we should worship biblically and accurately, not traditionally. Notice so many times I hear people say, I don't like that worship or I don't worship this way. I don't worship that way. And they start to claim something that's a tradition, not a biblical principle. Why would you ever hang your hat on tradition instead of God's word? Let me give you a good one. For years, as I grew up Baptist, we didn't clap in church. Yet I read in God's scripture, clap your hands unto the Lord. 
shout with a loud shout. You never got too excited in the church or they'd go. And they'd give you that side eye. You know what I'm talking about? The stinky eye, like, you about to get it? Especially if you're a kid. And, and so I'm like, sometimes I just want to get excited for God. Anyone ever want to get excited for the Lord? Yeah. They give you So this was the posture. The posture was like this. Or like this. The men would stand like this. Like, I don't see David doing that. So I'll never forget when I went to Promise Keepers for the first time and Chris Tomlin was leading worship. And Chris Tomlin, that awesome worship leader of God, says, man, if you're here today, I want you to, I want you to just get biblical with your worship. The Bible says to lift up holy hands to the Lord. And he says, so if you feel in your heart a need to surrender anew to him. Come on, how many of us know that it's good to surrender new to the Lord? You know, some of us go by that old adage, if I told her once I love her, I don't ever have to tell her again. You'll find yourself divorced. Man, that's the dumbest thing you could ever do. Tell your wife over and over and over how much you love her and then show her how much you love her. Come on. Can I get an amen, ladies? You know, that idea of, I told her once I loved her and that's all she needs to know. Don't be a fool. Guess what? Tell the Lord every day I love you and I worship you with a fresh, surrendered heart today. So he was challenging us and he says, if you feel that in your heart, then show it in your hands lifted. This is still the universal sign for surrender, isn't it? If the police have you mixed up with someone... This is the best position (laughs) to come out and say, I don't know who you're thinking of, but I surrender. Get on your knees and put your hand. I said, Lord, that's what I feel for you. I I just want to surrender again right here, right now. So I remember, I said, oh, here he goes. I bet everybody's watching me. (laughs) Isn't that so insecure? That's what the devil wants to put in your heart. Everybody's watching you. Nobody cared about me. Not in that auditorium. There was 16,000 men there that day. Reunion Arena in Dallas where the Mavericks used to play. So I went like this. I said, oh man, this here, in Jesus' name. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is huge. And I opened my eyes and I started to peek around. Nobody's looking over here. I go like this. And there's a guy dead staring at me guess who he is? He's my younger brother that was raised the exact same way I was. And he has his hand up like this and he's going, and we both got this goofy look on our face and we're looking at each other and we just crack up laughing like, this is crazy. And we go, the truth is I'd rather be biblical and accurate than filled with tradition. Where did that tradition come from? Oh, some people, well, I was, uh, man, I ain't got time for that. I want to have my attitude right. Notice where David's going, audience, appraising God for who he is. Awe, feeling filled with awesome wonder. Accurate. I want to be accurate based on your word. I want your word to what? Illuminate my path. Lighten up my footsteps. He says that all the time. I'm going to hide your word in my heart. 
I'm going to what? Your word will be on my lips. Let that word determine your worship, not tradition, and then let it affect your attitude. Look at what the Bible says about attitude, which is the heart, the heart. It says this, Samuel is anointing David and they cannot find the the young man that God sent him there to anoint. Why? Because there's seven brothers in front of this prophet of God, but they left the little brother out in the field. They didn't even think about him. Why? Because he looked so unlike a king. And God says this to Samuel, do not consider their appearance or their height, for I have rejected all of them. He's talking specifically about the older brother, but he's saying, I've rejected all of them. People look at the outward appearance. God is talking here, but I look at the heart, says the Lord. I look at the heart. That was David's secret sauce. He had his heart right. And you know what's so interesting? In a world that's constantly trying to conform us, and constant, we're constantly judging each other, aren't we? We have so much preoccupation with what we're doing that if we put that much preoccupation on what God thinks and what God wants, we'd be a whole different world. You know, it's interesting because people judge the funniest things. You ever notice that? People judge everything from the hair on your head or the lack of it to the, to the feet, to your feet. You judge everything. As a matter of fact, I can remember being on a mission trip once. We were in the Dominican Republic. And when you go on mission trip, um, interesting things happen. People get excited. They want to adopt kids. Uh, one had to tell them, no, you can't bring this kid with you back home. That is called kidnapping. <laughs> I don't care how much your heart is beating for them. We can't do that. We, we ha- you know, and, and so you get all kinds of, Great, great moves of God. But you never know how it's going to happen. And so, Tracy, this one lady comes up to me and says, Pastor, I have a confession to make to you. I have a confession. Just like that, I have a confession. She had her hands like, I got a confession to make to you. And I thought, we're about to go into group time. Is this a private confession? Should I have my wife come and, and, and be a part of this with us? No, no, I need to tell the entire group. I said, oh, this is going to be good. And so she says, Pastor, I've been looking at your feet. Isn't it interesting when someone highlights something about you, the minute you, you go like this? I did, I did just like this. I went, this is weird. I'm going to go back here and hide my feet. And when you're on a mission trip in the Dominican Republic, you wear sandals a lot, right? So now I'm like, oh, no. She's, I've been looking at your feet, and you have beautiful feet. And I thought, well then, okay, here we go. So if you're going to say something about somebody's worship, at least it, let it be complimentary, right? But this is the point. We shouldn't be looking at each other's worship. It's just like we shouldn't be looking at each other's feet. That's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. No, no, no. So, so she goes, see, this is the thing. You have, no, you have tens. I judge people's feet all the time. And there's fives and there's twos and there's threes, but you have tens. You know, that's scriptural because the Bible says in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Romans, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel message. (laughs) So I decided to take up some foot modeling. Check out some of my gigs here. I'm just kidding. It's so crazy. I'm sitting here listening like I don't know where to go with this. 
And she says, and your brother has nine and a half. My husband, I'm still angry with him because he knew I loved feet and he lied to me. He said his feet were crooked because of wrestling. But now my children's feet look the same as his. And I still don't know where to go with it. But I'll tell you this. I think we judge everything in our culture. We just, we judge eyes, we judge appearance, we judge height, we judge speed. I mean, we judge Andy and everything. How sad is it that we're always judging each other's worship? We're so worried about appraising each other's worship and, and dealing with worship that way than just focusing on God. Focusing on God. And so you have, you have this judgmental heart that needs to be sacrificed if you want to be a worshiper like, like David. David understood this. He said things like this. He said, he says, for you do not desire sacrifice or I would give it. You do not delight in burn offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. David got the the point. He understood. It's not just the ark. It's the presence of the Lord that makes the ark important. It's not just the tabernacle. It's the presence of the Lord that makes the tabernacle special. Watch. It's not just the sacrifice. It's the heart that is moved in worship to the Lord that makes that sacrifice special. Now, some have taken that and have misinterpreted it to say, God doesn't care about sacrifice. He doesn't care about stuff. So I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is have a good heart. No, your heart will be shown by what you bring. Notice, this is what David says. You have to take the word with the word of God. He says it's not about the offering. It's about the heart behind the offering. But now he's going to tell you how important the offering is too. Watch this. There's a king. He's a foreign king. He wants to honor David. So he says, David, I know you're big into sacrifice. And I know that sacrifice is expensive because I've watched it. I want to do something for you. Let me pay for your sacrifices. David says what? Yeah, sure. That saved me some some money. No, watch what David says. No. But I will surely buy it. Why? Because I cannot offer the Lord a sacrifice or an offering which costs me nothing. Because my heart is right, I give the very best. Because my heart is right, I present my tithe, not as the last thing I do, as the first thing I do. Because my heart is right, I come into the worship service. I know the presence of the Lord is there. Why? Because the Bible says, and the Bible informs my worship, that where two or three gathered, he promises to be here. 
Lord, thank you for being here. I lift my hands. Why? Because that's what I feel in my heart. And if I feel it in my heart, then I'm going to show you in my countenance. I love you, Lord. Therefore, I will smile in your presence. I love you, Lord. Therefore, I will be jubilant in your presence. I love you, Lord. I'm heavy hearted, Lord. So my worship is informed by a heaviness. But I will still show you, Lord. My heart is to love you in spite, in spite of me being at my lowest point. Does this make sense? Pray for me because I love getting on my knees before the Lord. And the enemy's been messing with me on that. I got this bad knee and I need to, I need, just, just pray for me this week. So it informs the action. Act is the next word. And we're going right through act really, really quick. But I want you to notice how we get this in so many different areas, except we miss it many times when it comes to the church because there's a spiritual dynamic of the enemy trying to have you miss it. Because if you miss that, you miss the power. Notice, David was a warrior. Don't get it twisted. David was not a wimp. He wasn't some weird, soft, you know, hippie-looking, you know, checker at Whole Foods. If you're a checker at Whole Foods, I'm sorry. But you know what I mean? You see some of those guys and you go, you couldn't beat up a fly. I don't want to be like you. I don't want to be like, come on. Hey, guys in the room know what I'm talking about. I want, I want, I'm going to look up to somebody. I'm going to look up to a man's man. Ah, walk around like They sang of David. Saul has killed thousands, but David has tens of thousands. Yet he could be soft before the Lord. He could be open before the Lord. He could give... Oh, now that's somebody I could look up to, Lord. That's why God made him king. So think about this with me for a second. We get this in every other area, and I'm about to finish right here. This past Thursday, I got to go somewhere really, really special for me. I love country music. I love country music. 90s country is the best, but that's just me. Grew up with 90s country. And uh, I got to go to the Grand Ole Opry this past Thursday. Isn't that beautiful? The Grand Ole Opry. So much rich, beautiful history there in Tennessee and Nashville and the Grand Ole Opry. And we got to see the Bellamy Brothers along with uh, the uh, Gatlin Brothers. It was a brother's theme. Wow. And the Gatlin Brothers sang these old gospel songs and beautiful three-part harmony and it was just a gorgeous time and so afterwards we we paid for a tour and they do about a 45 50 minute tour and they show you all of the all of the special qualities of this of this amazing place and they show you the different dressing rooms like dolly's dressing room and the different the different um uh, different levels of honor within that system for the artist and depends on on um, where they are and how many times they've performed and what their, you know, the invitations that they get and all these different things. And so, for instance, for the members of the Grand Ole Opry that have been inducted in or asked to be a part, they get a mailbox and you can see the mailboxes. Have you ever been there? Anybody ever been there? Yeah, it's pretty special. And so, so you can say Grand Ole Opry in care of Miss Dolly Pardon and she'll get it in her mail. 
That's how prestigious this is. It, it'll come to her. So you, you um, and, and she'll sit down and read it there. And I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is so awesome. And, he's, and then he goes, it's gonna get better, he says to us. He says, you're gonna get to go on stage and on stage, you're gonna get to stand in the circle. You can see it's very clearly, it's, it's laid in, in wood and it's a different color from the other wood. And it looks really old and just special because that center spotlight hits it right smack there. And so, so I go, what is it? He goes, oh, I'm gonna tell you all about it. He said, that is from the original Ryman Auditorium. We had it cut out and brought over when they made this new facility decades ago. And they want, we want you to know that the circle will never be broken, that every artist who even performed in the old auditorium from Hank Williams to even Hank Williams Jr. stands in that same place. And so we can always tell when an artist understands the history because when they're asked to sing at the Grand Ole Opry for the very first time, they don't go into the circle during rehearsals. They'll stand outside the circle and ask someone to hand them the mic. They rehearse outside the circle. And then that night when they're announced and they're given the stage for the very first time, they step into that circle and they're hit with that sense of awe. And it's overwhelming. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm going to get to stand in the circle. But then I said, no, I, I can't do that. I did. I, I literally said, I don't know if I can do that because who knows? I'm, I'm just 50. I could still maybe get invited if I start, <laughs> if I start now, you know? And, you know, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to go for it. But you really do get that sense of awe for something man-made. If the world understands this, how much more us Christians should we understand that we get to walk into the presence of the living God every single week? We get to walk into the presence of the living God. David got this. And this is why he was audacious in his worship. Not only was he audacious in his worship, he was authentic in his worship. Listen to what he says to his wife. He says, before the Lord who chose me, the audacity of him to say he chose me. No, that's not audacity in the way the world would think of audacity. That's humility. He's saying, I know that God chose me. And because God chose me, I will worship him with all my heart. How could I do anything else? I know where I was. I know I was a poor shepherd boy in a field somewhere. Nobody gave a darn about me, but the Lord loved me then and he loves me now and I will never turn my back. Come on, come on, someone. Do you see what's happening here? This is God saying, this is God saying through his servant, David. No, this audacious nature of worship is what made David special. He says to his wife, I, I will do this. I'm gonna do it. I have to do it. God selected me for such a time as this. Do you realize that you were selected for such a time as this? That God chose you, that he loved you. He bankrupted heaven for you. That line we sang earlier today, it, it destroys me every time I hear it. 
father of Jesus, you bankrupted heaven for me. Think about it. You bankrupted heaven. You, what, what does that mean? It means you, 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 you have nothing else. You're, you're, you're done. You mean God was done? He gave all his wealth? Yeah. He gave the most precious thing. Heaven is nothing without Jesus. And he gave. Can you imagine the angels are like, the reason we exist is going to earth. I don't know how they felt. But God bankrupted heaven for us. How could we not have the audacity, the risk of it, the go for it attitude to say, no, look at his audacity. He says, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Do not remember the sins of my youth and the rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. I want you to think about this for a, for, for a second. What gives him the right or the courage to stand before God and say, don't let my enemies triumph over me, Lord. See it with fresh eyes. We see this and we just think, oh, no big deal. No, David is standing before the Lord declaring to God what he needs and what he wants. He's saying, Lord, don't let this happen. God, he's given God. Why? Because in worship, he he finds out who he is. And when you find out who you are, you can have that audacity that's grounded in authenticity that moves you into your prayer time and your relationship with God based on what he says you are, not on what the world says you are. So many times we see ourselves the way the world sees us and therefore we come before God and say, Lord, maybe perhaps on a good day, would it be okay if you did this? David says, I already know who I am. I was chosen. And if God chose me, then he has a plan for me. Don't let me be put to shame, God. There's people trying to kill me right now. Don't let it happen, Lord. He girded himself up in his worship. This is where we finish. Authenticity. What do I mean by authenticity? He was going to be him and he didn't care who saw. You go, yeah, but it's easy to be that way when you're king. How about when you're 15 and nobody knows your name? It started for him at 15. But you know what he was at 15? He was a worshiper. You know, I don't get it. I don't get it. Okay. You go to visit your brothers. Goliath is there. Everyone's scared. But it doesn't settle right with you. So you start to speak up. Everybody starts to jump on you and say, who do you think you are? You think you got it? Okay, let's see, big boy. You don't cower down. Why? Because you're authentic. You know who you are. No one's going to knuckle you down. You know who you are at 15. That's who David is. Okay, the king wants to see you. The king wants to see me? How many of you would be, I'm out. I just came to deliver the pizza, I'm out. He came to bring his brothers, right? Some food, I'm out of here, I'm done. 
right? How many of you would do that? I'm supposed to be back on the platform. They keep telling me, don't get off the platform. That's where your knees get hurt and everything else because I like to jump on and off. And, 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 and No, but, but stay with me. The kings, you, you go see the king. Yes, sir, what would you have for me? He says, you're gonna kill this giant. You, you have no idea what you're doing, son. How many of you could look the king in the eyes and say, no, no, I'm gonna do it. The Lord will give him into my hands this day. Okay, the king says, <clears throat> a little delusional, but we'll work with it. You gotta use my armament. Here's my sword, here's my armor. You put it on. Think about the authenticity and the audacity that it would take to look the king in the eye and say, no, nah, I don't think so. Thank you for the offer, but here's your sword back. Anyone ever serve in the army, in the Navy, in the armed forces? You tell the top commander of all the armed forces, no, I think I'm going to do it my way. you got plenty of guys with swords. you got plenty of guys doing it the world's way. you got plenty of guys worshiping the way they think is best. They, they're spectators, not participants. you got plenty of churches just trying to get people. you got plenty. Let's do something different. Let's be authentic. Let's do it with all our heart. Let's say, Lord, today, 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 more than anything else, teach me to be a David in your presence, my king. And it's going to take courage to say, you can have your sword back. You can have your armor back. I think I'll just stand with the Lord and go with him. Lord, after all, that's why you died for us. This is why we worship you, Lord. Church, I love you with all my heart. And God has shown me something in this last few months. He's showing me that he's moving foundation to a level of authenticity. To have the audacity to believe we can change Bastra. To have the audacity to believe that marriages are going to be saved in this church. In fact, they already are. That we will see miracles. That we will see a mighty move of his hand. But we've got to come to him in humility saying, Lord, this isn't about me anymore. It's about you. Thank you for the gift of your son. I will never look at worship the same way. It's my privilege. It's my privilege. Until you return, my king. Until you return. We celebrate your gifts of love on the cross. In Jesus' name. Foundation, I love you. Have a great, great week.